we sang those songs of feasting in the house of Zion. What a, what a joy it is to look forward to who we are as the church. And that's what we're talking about in this series as well. And so I just wonder, ha- have you ever uh, wondered in your mind this question, why do I do what I do? Have you ever wondered that? For, for example, you, you've been friends with this, this other person in the church for years. One, one day he says something to you and you're like, I can't believe he just said that. And, and before you know it, six, six months go by, 12 months pass. It's been like two years since you've had any sort of meaningful conversation with someone who you used to be close friends with. And you think, all of a sudden, why do I do what I do? Or, or maybe, maybe you think of someone that you uh, used to see at worship week after week after week, and you haven't seen her in a while. All of a sudden, she comes to mind. You've got no idea where she's at. And, and you start to feel bad that you haven't reached out. And you think, why do I do what I do? Or, or maybe, maybe you're struggling with pornography, and you've been struggling with it for years. And every time the pastor brings it up in a sermon, you get a little squeamish. You begin to feel the conviction of the Spirit. And so you go a day or two without pornography. But by the middle of the week, you're right back where it seems that you've always been struggling, not knowing what to do. And you're on your knees before God, and you're like, why do I do what I do? Or maybe for you, you're, you're skeptical of the church elders. You didn't agree with a decision that they made several years ago, whether it was right or wrong. And so now you, you just come and go on Sundays without interacting with any of them. And, and, and when it comes to congregational meetings, you, you either don't go or you come with a hard heart toward the church leadership. Yet you're trying to function as a local body of believers in, in Christ, while at the same time you're skeptical and dismissive of the leadership. And so some days you just have those moments where you wonder, why do I do what I do? What am I doing? Well, here's, here's the reality, and there's so many other examples I could give. You do what you do because you think what you think. You do what you do because you think what you think. And, and if you resonate with any of this that I'm saying today, maybe I didn't hit on the example that, that's really within your heart, but, but you, you need to know this isn't unique to you. You're, you're not like off on an island somewhere, and this is, this is only you who struggles with this. You see, as Christ followers, all of us, we have some sort of wrestling in our lives, which we say, why do I do what I do? And, and honestly, the Apostle Paul, he was, he was there too. The Apostle Paul, as, as great of a man as he was, a servant of the Lord, he was there too. Listen to what he writes in Romans chapter 7. We'll have this on the screen. For I do not understand my own actions. Here he says it. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know 
that, that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, which is good, but not the ability to carry it out. Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. Now, if you could follow that, it's a little bit confusing. Paul, he's recognizing that there's a struggle with sin within him. Now, as believers, sin doesn't reign in his life anymore because of the gospel. Okay? But, but he's wrestling. He's wrestling with the temptation to fall back into his old sinful ways, his old sinful habits. The way he would have responded before Christ came into his life. And he goes on to write this in verse 21. So I find it to be a, be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. It's obvious that Paul knows that it's, it's the mind that must be renewed. In and by Christ. The, the reason we do what we do because we think what we think. That's how it happens. We do what we do because we think what we think. Uh, Paul writes later in, a, in his letter to the Romans, Romans 12, uh, 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by, by the renewal of of your mind, that, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. But how does this happen? Well, it happens when we allow the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out. Well, look back to Romans 8 on the screen, verses 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh. That's, that's people who have trusted in Christ. You are not in the flesh any longer, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So it, it links that with, if you're in Christ, you have the Spirit. If, you, if you're not in Christ, you don't have the Spirit. But, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin the spirit is life because of righteousness verse 11 if the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead dwells in you think about that raised jesus from the dead he dwells in you he who raised christ jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you guys this is a this is an unshakable incredible marvelous promise that the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives within those of us who trust in Christ. 
And it's through the transforming power of the Spirit in us that we think and live in a manner worthy of God's kingdom. Now, if you were here last week, you you may remember that we learned about God's kingdom, specifically God's redemptive kingdom, which is his people. God's kingdom is the place where God dwells with his people, all believers for all time. And therefore, we, we, as we gather on Sunday mornings, we are a picture of God's kingdom. We are God's kingdom. We're, we're still part of his kingdom when we scatter throughout the week and go do the things God's called us to do. But when we gather, when we gather for worship, we're actually practicing together that which God has called us to do as members of his kingdom. And if you remember Hebrews 12, 28, just a a wonderful verse, it reminds us that the kingdom of which we're part of in Christ is the the word that's used there is unshakable. The, The unshakable kingdom of God is one that is already, it's present, but it's all, it's not yet fully finished. It's here as as God reigns in and through his people, but it's not yet consummated. And in Hebrews 13, if you turn the page, and this is where we'll be for the most of this morning. If you turn the page from Hebrews 12 to 13, Hebrews 13, it continues to paint this picture of what this unshakable kingdom of God actually looks like. It's, It's saying, because God's kingdom is already but not yet. We must allow the Spirit to transform the manner in which we think and live. The way we walk in our lives. Look at verses 8 through 14 of Hebrews 13. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priests as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him. Let let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. The reality is this world is full of false teachings and ways that counter the grace way of Jesus. And these verses that I just read this morning, as as much as I'd want to dissect them a little bit more for you today, but they... They, they point us toward remembering this truth that this physical world will pass away. The physical world will pass away. Jesus suffered and died outside the holy city of Jerusalem actually as a sign that it's not the physical world that lasts. It's those whom are saved by Christ's work of the gospel. They endure. And in fact, the physical temple of, in Jerusalem was destroyed and more destruction is to come. This physical world will dissolve. And so let's not get too consumed with it. Let's not, let's be careful that that we don't allow 
the fear of what could happen in this life to affect our obedience to God. We get so afraid of, of all the what-ifs that that actually keeps us from obeying God. As Christ followers, we're not called to find our security, our worth, our purpose in this world, ultimately. We, we now have that determined for us by Christ and what he's done for us. That's where our identity and purpose comes from. And it's in him. And so it is so true what verse 14 says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And so here's what, what I want you to remember today out of this text is because God's kingdom is already but not yet, we as God's people, those who have trusted in Christ, must allow the Spirit to transform the manner in which we think and live. We, we don't just pray the prayer and say, I'm on a ticket to heaven. But we, we ask the Spirit, we desire the Spirit to come into our lives and hearts and actually to transform the way we think because we understand the way we think affects the way we live our lives. And the way we live our lives either reflect, reflects Christ or it doesn't. And if you look at verses 1 through 19 in Hebrews chapter 13, there, there are several exhortations listed for those who are part of God's kingdom, the church. And this is how we're called to live as God's people. To, to be people who, who live out of the gospel. We're shaped by the gospel, by the power of the Spirit in our lives who dwells within us as Christ followers. And so because God's kingdom is already but not yet, we must allow the Spirit, we must allow the Spirit to transform the manner in which we think and live. Well, let me say it another way. If you trust Christ as your Savior and your Lord, now you belong. You, you belong to the family of God. You're His. Like, that's done and finished. That's secure. Now, God, the Holy Spirit, desires to transform you to look like you belong. That your life would actually look like you belong to the family of God to reclaim the image of Jesus Christ. And so this text in Hebrews chapter 13 gives us actually multiple exhortations that shape how we should be a people who trust the Holy Spirit to align our lives with Christ and the gospel. And these exhortations, I believe, can be summarized in six uh, characteristics of a church body, a church community. And I believe these characteristics are written in God's word for a reason. I, I think it's because, honestly, and this includes me, we aren't always faithful to follow the Spirit in those ways. Sometimes we just go our own way. Sometimes we have emotions and we feel things or we've had experiences, and we're trying to make decisions about how we're going to live and what we're going to say and, and, and how we treat others out of those experiences and emotions instead of the way of Christ. And so we need the reminder. Now, the other thing is, all of these that I'm going to share with you today from the text reflect servant leadership, which we talked about last week, which, which God calls us to imitate in Christ and the gospel, servant leadership. So let's start in verse 1, and we'll kind of walk through here so you can see this in the text. It says, let brotherly love continue. 
Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. And so three, three things, love, hospitality, and care. They, they point us to what, what type of community? A loving community. They point us to a loving community. Say for a moment, you're sitting here in worship on a Sunday morning, a couple rows in front of you, you notice this young woman who, who you've never seen before. We have that greeting time each week, and during the greeting time, you go up and shake her hand. After the service, you're out in the lobby, and you notice she's just standing around all by herself. What do you do? Do, do you kind of go and just do whatever you were going to do anyway? Do you walk over and do you talk with her? What do you do at that fork in the road? Or, or let me just ask, when was the last time that you invited someone new that you didn't know very well over to your house for a meal? Again, I'm not talking about your best friend or your family. I, I hope, hope that you would be doing that as well. But, but I'm talking about someone that you just don't know very well. I'm, I'm talking about someone new, somebody who maybe hasn't gotten very connected yet. And I understand that we can't do this for everyone. There's lots going on in our lives, but, but are you doing it with someone? And how often do you do it? Church, let's be the loving community that God's called and equipped us to be. It, it may start with something just as simple as a conversation with someone or a meal. And it may grow into something much, much more than that. And, and I just wonder, would you imagine with me, what if everyone in this room, what if everyone in this room did that on a regular basis with someone? What if? I, I mean, if we did that, how could we not become more of a loving church? How could we not? Think about it. The, the second characteristic, characteristic that informs how we think and live as a church community is a holy community a holy community verse four let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for god will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have for he has said I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now as the kingdom of God here in this physical world, we're not, we're not supposed to reflect the sinful ways of the world. We're actually, we're called and equipped by God and Christ, the, the Holy Spirit, the gospel, to be a holy community. Two pictures are, are presented here in the text. We have marriage and contentment. Let's be honest, though. It, these are areas in which the culture around us has very different values. Pre pretty obvious if you think about it. Different values from what the Bible actually conveys. 
And so even though it's hard to live with a godly view of marriage and contentment with money, God, the Holy Spirit, he actually calls us and equips us to do it. Now, God's view of marriage, according to his word, is, is that marriage is for one man and one woman. They come together. Sex is only for marriage. Marriage is a covenant between you, your spouse, and God, if you're married. And, and marriage is for all the days of your life. It, it's for this life. Now, now, marriage is a physical reflection of Christ's gospel relationship with the church. And although the physical union of marriage between a man and a woman will one day pass away, the, the meaning of marriage will actually last. See, earthly marriage actually points us to Jesus and the bride, the church, being united forever in a holy marriage. It, it's the very fact that this earthly life, when it ends for us, there will be a bride and a groom and a holy wedding. Jesus paid the groom's sacrificial wedding cost to purchase the bride, his people, the church. And listen, on that day, if you're a Christ follower, we will be all together and we'll stand before Jesus Christ, God himself, and we will sing, as it says in Revelation 4, 8, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they will be sweet words of worship to the Lord. For the Christ follower, that's the hope we have. That's the joy we have as we pass from death to eternal life. And that's the picture of the glorious wedding in the city that is yet to come. And so when you hold that perspective, which is true and right, our contentment and satisfaction is not in the money and things of this world, but it is in Christ alone. And therefore, let's not set our minds on the things of this world, the things that perish. Let, let's set our minds on the things above, things that last, because Christ has made us a holy community. Can you imagine with me how we would grow in our treasuring of God and loving people if we were intentional? about pursuing holiness in our lives, each and every one of us. That when we get up in the morning, we ask the Spirit of God in us to make us holy. Help us walk away from sin. Can you imagine the community we would be? A community that treasures God and loves people so well because we're walking in the Spirit to become holy. The third characteristic that tells us how to think and live as the body of Christ is actually in verse 7. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You see, an imitating community. Question, who, who invested in you spiritually? Who is it that, if you're a Christ follower, who is it that led you to Jesus? Who invited you to church? Who, who invested their, their time into your life? Imitate them as they imitate Christ. They're not perfect, but imitate them as they imitate Christ. 
I, I did some reflecting. I have a long list of people who have invested in me in different points along the journey over the years. I, I think of my pastors. Had several pastors in different churches. My, my college campus crusade for Christ director. Lasting impact on my life. Husbands and dads who are older than me who, who gave of their time and energy. They didn't have to, but they chose to. I, I think of so many people over the past 25 years. I could make a list of, honestly, hundreds of people. I, I think of John and Craig and Ben and Josh and, and, and Sean and Tom and Jeannie, our friends in Michigan, and, and Ian and Brad out in New York, and, and Bill who lives in Pennsylvania, and, and Dale and Jim and and Ryan, and Connie, and so many other people. So many. There are so many, also, people in my life today of whom I want to imitate because, because they're imitating Christ. I see them walking with Christ, and I want, to, I want to model my life after them because they're walking with Christ in a way that maybe I'm not. And so for you, who has God sovereignly placed in your life who has invested in you in some way? How is that person or those people pointing you to greater faith in Jesus? And listen, as you, as you grow older, who are you investing in? Who are you intentional about investing in? Who's younger? Because listen, the truth is, younger people, we don't just figure it out. We don't just figure it out. I need people to invest in me. You need someone to invest in you. And you need to invest in someone else intentionally this is how we become the imitating community who grows up in faith now, now the fourth characteristic that informs how we think and live as the church is found in verse 15 it says through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to god that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name that's jesus name that we'd be a worshiping community. That we commit ourselves to and prioritize worshiping God together, lifting up our voices in praise to him. And I thank you guys for doing that. Thank you for being here week after week to do that. We do this because God's kingdom is already, but not yet. The, the living creatures of Revelation chapter 4, they worship God who reigns and sits on the throne. And they, they worship by giving glory and honor and thanks to God. God is praised for his sovereign rule as the living God, as the creator of all. He deserves our worship. And, and one day, one day the crowns will be cast before the throne of God. And we will sing, as it says in Revelation chapter 4, Worthy are you, our Lord and God. To receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will they existed and they were created. And so today, we, we get to gather and we get to sing. And next Sunday, and next Sunday, and next Sunday. And, and, and we keep on gathering because God is worthy of praise. The kingdom of God is a worshiping community that defines us. 
And, and what a witness we are to those who live around us in Taylor County as we gather to faithfully and selflessly worship God. And we do it together. What a joy. The fifth characteristic that speaks to how we think and live as the body of Christ is a sharing community. Look at verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Guys, the, the kingdom of God is a sharing community which seeks to do good. No, we don't always do it perfectly, but, but that's, that's who we are in Christ. That's who we're growing to become. And so as Christ's saving blood was a free gift to us, so our, our generosity is free to those around us. That's an expression of God's grace flowing as a conduit through our lives. We're, we're always to be on the lookout for opportunities to be generous. Christ's blood leads us to grace. Christ's mercy leads us to compassion. There, there are so many ways that we can practice generous compassion in the way that we think and the way we live our lives. For, for example, next Sunday, we're, we're actually going to do a bottle drive with abiding care. Get right here in Medford. It's an organization right here in Medford. Maybe you haven't heard of it, but the director, Carrie, she, she actually goes to our church. And so think about it. What if? What if each of us decided we're going to practice generous compassion by contributing to the life-giving ministry of abiding care in whatever way we can, in whatever way the Lord leads you to do it? We're, we're going to do that next week. Guys, let's reflect the sharing community we're truly supposed to be and are and becoming in Christ in the kingdom of God. Let's be that sharing community. Finally, the sixth characteristic that informs how we live and think as the church following community. Verse 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping, it gives purpose, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you soon. Now I know sometimes people struggle with this text. And I, and I get it because honestly, leader, leaders disappoint people. I've had leaders disappoint me. You, you may have certain expectations of what you think a spiritual leader should be doing. There, you may have had an experience where a spiritual leader has broken trust, or there's a gap where you don't understand one angle and, and you have a different perspective. There, there are just honestly all sorts of reasons that people are disappointed by leaders. And, and so honestly, let me just say to you today, if I've disappointed you as your pastor or or there's been a, a leader in the past here at FBC who's disappointed you. I'm sorry for that. That is not our goal or desire is to disappoint you. I'm sorry that we haven't lived up to your expectations in certain ways. And, and, if, and if you're not thinking of something where we haven't, like, it'll probably happen. Like, because we're people. 
sometimes we, we miss the mark that God has called us to. Sometimes we sin because we're people. We're people just like you. We're all sinners. Now, I recognize that, that also I'm, I'm very different than your previous pastors. I've only been here a year. And, and some of you have been here for, for even decades. And so I acknowledge that I'm different. And so I, I lead differently or I think differently. I, I recognize that Pastor Tim and Pastor George, they're different from one another. They're, they're different from me. And, and honestly, I look at that as a gift because sometimes they see things that I don't see or vice versa. And, and shortly in a few weeks, as new elders begin to serve, they're different as well. And so here's my point in sharing this with you. Church elders are called to function as a plurality of elders. It's not just like one guy or a couple guys or just the paid pastors or anything like that. Th this means that there's more than just one. There's multiple guys who are called by God to serve, serve Jesus and the church together. And every guy has a unique personality, experiences, spiritual gifts, and a leadership style. But all of us are, are to be unified and, as, as Hebrews 13 says, accountable to God. We're accountable to God for the shepherding and oversight of the church. God will judge us based upon what we did or didn't do. And we're not supposed to, like, operate in, in fear of that or anything, but, but that's heavy. We, we need to carry the right heart posture. And so as the text says, would you pray for us? Would you pray for us? We honestly desire your prayers. Pray that we would have humble hearts before the Lord. Pray, pray that, that we would shepherd and love people of the congregation well. Pray that we would be filled with all grace and truth, representing the mind of Christ for the sake and good of the congregation. Pray, pray that we would follow God well, and in doing so, that we would actually imitate Christ, whom, whom you would follow and trust. You see, this, this text in Hebrews 13, starting in verse 17, this is rooted in what it means to follow God, actually. It's actually about trusting God and his sovereign leadership. God's ordination of earthly leaders. And so thinking and living as a following community is actually not so much rooted in following man, but it's actually rooted in following God, faith in God, trusting God with that which we don't see. And so will, will you trust God with your spiritual leadership? The, the other elders and I, we're not the saviors. We're not. If you, if you remember, when, if you were here when I came, that was the first sermon I preached, and I preached it intentionally about Psalm 23, that Jesus is the good shepherd, and my role as a pastor is to point you to the good shepherd, not to me. We're not the primary leaders you're supposed to follow. But the truth of the matter is, our job as elders is, is to point you to the great shepherd, as we are being pointed to the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. And so I just ask you humbly, would you, would you pray for us that we do that well? Now, all of this that, that we've talked about today, uh, allowing the Spirit to transform the manner 
in which we think and live our lives as God's people, the kingdom of God, as, as a loving community, as, as a holy community, as an imitating community, as a worshiping community, guys, as a, as a sharing community and a following community, all of this, all of it, Hebrews 13, it's a picture of servant leadership. It, it, it's about trusting God's sovereign reign and humbly all of us submitting ourselves to God's design for this community in which we're interacting as the church, the body of Christ. It's the physical display of God's kingdom here on earth to be a witness to those on the outside so they might see the glory of God dwelling within us. And so to be the, the church is to be servant leadership. FBC, our, our servant leadership submits to God. We submit to God the Father through his sovereign, ordaining authority and power. All of us. We, we submit to God the Son through the, the good work of the gospel which he has accomplished for us. The work we couldn't accomplish for ourselves. And so we submit to God the Holy Spirit through his continuous and active present reign in our lives. We should praise him. He's not leaving us. Let me, let me read these verses 20 and 21 before I pray. This is where our hope is. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's why we have confidence to live as the kingdom of God here in this earth. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we, we honestly just long to become the community of people that you've called us to be. We thank you that as Christ's followers, we're not slaves to the dominion of sin and darkness any longer. We're children of the light. So God, when we get distracted or off track in our sin, lead us back. Shepherd us. Point, point the rod. Holy Spirit, turn us in faith and repentance to Christ. Let us see the marvelous beauty and glory of God that our desire to bear his image and to pursue holiness would take chief reign in our hearts. That we become a people who less and less desire selfish sin in our own way. And that we become more and more captivated by Christ. Faithful Spirit, transform us in the way in which we think and live. That we'd walk. That we'd walk in a manner worthy of the calling which we've received. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.